Well, good morning, church. Again, are you glad to be in the house of God today? I want to welcome everybody who is joining us in the room and online. We are glad that you are joining us this Easter day. Um, I'm really excited that you're here. I want to let you know something before we get going that starting next week, we are beginning a brand new series entitled Mind Games. Everybody say Mind Games. This is where we're going to talk about the battle in our minds and how God can help us. And I think everybody can relate to having some battles in their mind of depression, anxiety, some mind monsters. And so we're going to take some time next month, starting next week, going through the month of May, talking about mind monsters, talking about mind games. I want to encourage you to come on out, check us out, and hear what maybe God can help you with. Oh, no, not just maybe. I believe he can help you with, with mind monsters. Anybody ever struggle with something in your mind? I think we can help you. God can help us this next series. So now Easter is the time where we celebrate that God is not dead. He's alive. And I think it's important for us to understand that hearing the story of Jesus dying on the cross, many of us have heard that story over and over and over again. In fact, many of us may be calloused to the story of Jesus dying on the cross. And uh, I just want to, my prayer, I suppose, is that you and I will hear today with a fresh set of ears, if you would. Did you ever watch Men in Black when Will Smith, before he got kicked out of the Oscars, Will Smith <laughs> used that little little machine that made everybody forget what they already knew. I want you to just do that for a moment. I need you to just kind of clear your head and maybe just forget for a moment some of the things that may be cluttering the cross for you today. And my heart is for the next few moments together that you will hear something differently than the way you've heard it in times past. So in order to do that, I want to do something that I've never seen anybody do in the history of going to church. My dad's a pastor, been raised in ministry my whole life. I've never heard anybody preach what I'm going to preach to you today. And so in order for me and you to be on the same page, I need you to travel with me to, to Calvary, but I need you to travel with me to a courtroom. Some of you already feel at home. I heard in the state of Mississippi, real law in the state of Mississippi, that if you were to interrupt a church service, this is a real law, that you can be arrested by a civilian in the room. Just going to let you know that if you cough today, your mama can arrest you. I also saw that in Massachusetts, this is a real law, according to one town's law, any groom-to-be, quote, must prove himself manly before marriage by hunting and killing either six blackbirds or three cows. In Mobile, Alabama. Anybody from Alabama in the room? Anybody in Alabama? You're going to wish I didn't read this. It's, a, it's illegal to spit orange peels onto the sidewalk in Mobile. Also in Alabama, it is illegal, true, to wear a fake mustache to church because it could make somebody laugh. In Alabama, they just got to make some rules, you know, just got to help people out. Also in Alabama, it is illegal to put an ice cream cone in your back pocket. <laughs> also, my favorite, it's illegal for someone to drive while blindfolded in the state of Alabama. 
I would think that's common sense, but maybe just God and the law have to help them out just a bit. Today in the courtroom, I need you to just go with me for a moment, that many of us wanna be in the seat of the judge. In 2022, this is where many people wanna sit. They wanna make judgment calls. They wanna make the decisions. They wanna make all the rules. They're the judge. Many of us sit there in our relationships. Many of us sit there in our lives. Many, of our, many people in our culture are sitting there. Many people not only find themselves there, maybe there are some people in the room that you relate to, maybe you're sitting in the juror's box. And this is where you observe from the sidelines what somebody else has done wrong. And you're judging them and are they guilty? Are they not guilty? This is kind of like the cancel culture of 2022. Everybody with a Twitter account, by the way, is right here. Everybody with social media voicing their opinions about who's wrong and who deserves to be canceled and this person and that person. But today, I don't need you in the judge's seat. I don't need you in the juror's box. For us to truly understand Calvary, I need you in the defendant's seat today. I need you to feel the weight for a few moments of what it's like to sit in that chair. Because this is the chair where you and I belong. Romans chapter three says this, for everyone, everyone, everywhere, all classes, all economic statuses, every race, gender, every person represented in this room and all of humanity have sinned. And we all fall short of God's glorious standard. We are in this seat by nature and by choice. And my question for you starting out, what would the charges look like if they were pulled up on you today? What would it look like if somebody really were to pull the charges out and to look at what you've done, what do you deserve for what you've done, for the sins, the things we've said, the thoughts we've had, I recently read not long ago of a man who helped with the Oklahoma City bombing who killed 168 people, including 19 children, and he got life in prison, but the way they sentenced him was unique. They sentenced him with 9,300 years. Obviously, he's not gonna live to see that, but it just shows the immense pressure. It shows the immense weight of his crime. Another person involved with that got 30,000 years behind bars. In essence, it's a life sentence, obviously. But they did that to show this person has done a heinous crime. 30,000 years behind bars. The Guinness World Book of Records record of an individual who was jailed for doing crimes against the royal family, I believe, for 141,000 years. They didn't, just have, they didn't want to just say life. They wanted them and people to know that this person, this crime that they have committed is much greater than you can imagine, and it gets them 141,000 years behind bars. And what I'm talking to you today about is much more severe than 141,000 years. 
The Bible says we are all guilty. We've all fallen short. Nobody has a chance. And what I'm communicating to you today, hopefully you're picking up my heart, is that if we don't know God, we have to spend eternity in a place far from him. In a place, the scripture lets us know, in a place called hell. I know that doesn't excite anybody on Easter morning. And if I were honest, sometimes I wish hell wasn't real. I wish I didn't have to preach it and tell people about eternal consequences for not finding Christ, but I need you to understand, or rejecting Christ, I, I need you to understand that what we're talking about is very, very serious. It's more than 140,000 years serious. Here you are, here am I in the seat. We're guilty. What have we done? All the things imagine going through your head right now of what makes us guilty. And in this courtroom, there's another character. There's another individual who steps in. The scripture lets us know in the book of Revelation that his name is the accuser. His name is Satan, the devil. And the Bible lets us know that his main priority is to steal, kill, and to destroy. But the book of Revelation lets us know that he is not just doing that, but he's also coming to the picture to accuse the brethren, to accuse us. So I need you to hear me for a moment that this, this prosecuting attorney steps into the courtroom with Father God on the bench and you in the defendant's seat and brings all the sin and guilt and shame and conversations and thoughts that you have ever had, brings it to court, drops it on the table, and says to you, do you remember what you've done? Do you remember the conversations that you've had do you remember the, the anger? You remember that moment with your wife and kids where you just kind of went off and you're guilty? Do you remember the, the greed in your heart? You remember the, the thievery, the stealing, the lying? Do you remember how you used to pump yourself up to look important? Do you remember the deceit? Do you remember all the pride and all the moments? Remember being 17 years old and remember when you said that? Remember when you went there? I want you to hear me today. Remember the pride. Remember the slander and the bitterness and the gossip and the enemy has brought to the courtroom the things that we've done wrong. Brought it against us as we sit in that seat. Turns to the judge and says, you see? They're guilty. You see what they've done? They've held bitterness against their stepfather for 45 years. They're guilty. They got anger toward a person that hurt them and brokenness and shame. They're guilty. They've gossiped and lied and stole. And while you're sitting in that chair, the reality of it is you know he's right. That's the hard part about this. There's nowhere to hide. You know everything that's recorded is accurate. You know everything that's said is true. 
The prosecuting attorney looks to the judge and says, with that judge, I rest my case. What do you plead? Well, guilty as charged. I know it's not politically correct. I know it doesn't make us feel good. I know we don't like to think about all the things written on the paper. And in 2022, we want to say things like, God knows my heart. My grandmama went to church 25 years ago, baked bread for the pastor, so I got a chance. (laughs) We don't like to talk about what we're guilty of. We don't want to talk about the shame. We don't want to talk about the sin. We don't want to talk about where we fall short, but that's the Easter story. We're guilty as charged. Nowhere to hide. The evidence is against you. And not only are you guilty, not only are we guilty, but there is a sentencing part of this, of this experience. The scripture says in Romans chapter six, for the wages of sin is death. For the wages, the the punishment, the cost, the sentencing is much more than 141,000 years. It's death. It's capital punishment. What you've done in the eyes of God, a just, holy, perfect God, The courtroom falls silent. The prosecuting attorney takes his seat. The jury stands quiet. You have no case. What do you say? The evidence is there. You're guilty. But no one in the courtroom was expecting there to be a turn in the story because the judge has a love for that defendant. A judge has a love and a a heart for the person sitting in that chair. So what he does is the Bible says he comes up with a plan before the beginning of time. And he sends in a defense attorney. And this defense attorney, hear me church, has never lost a case. This defense attorney has never found a sin that he couldn't forgive. This defense attorney has never turned down one person, one soul, one individual, has never been embarrassed of anybody. There's nobody like this defense attorney. And the defense attorney steps into the room The prosecuting attorney, Satan, is pointing at the evidence and saying he's wrong, she's wrong, she's guilty, he's that, she's that. And the Son of God, Jesus Christ, on Easter weekend goes to the cross, dies a sinner's death, steps into the courtroom and says, it doesn't matter what they've done, I'm wiping it clean, it's over, it's done, they're forgiven, they're washed in the blood of the Lamb. I know it's Easter morning, but doesn't it just feel good to praise God that what was held against you is not held against you anymore? But what about the evidence? What about this? Jesus is saying, what about it? If you want to get to them, you got to go through me. That's the story of Easter, Jesus going to the cross when they stretched him wide and, and, they, and they hung him up there and the blood dripped, he was stepping in the courtroom for our guilt. You know, many times in 
court, lawyers and judges are familiar with the terms. They will make you stand as a defendant and they'll say, what do you plea? And they'll say things like, I plead not guilty or I plead guilty. I want you to hear me today that when you come to Christ and Jesus is your defense attorney, you don't get the privilege to say, I'm not guilty or I am perfect or I've got it together. You don't plead guilty. You don't plead not guilty. You plead the blood. That's who speaks for you in court. This legal term that speaks for me that when I can't speak for myself, I can't say I got it together, I can't say I can't plead perfection, I can't plead innocence because that's not true, I just plead the blood. The prosecuting attorney is racking his mind saying, what do you mean that you plead the blood? It means this, Colossians chapter two, he canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by the nailing to the cross, Jesus steps in. And the scripture lets us know something like this, that he takes our sin and throws them into the sea of forgetfulness. Meaning that God's got sin timers. I think many people struggle to believe that God chooses to not remember where we fall short. But the reality of it is, the way you feel about you and the way God feels about you are not the same thing. He has thrown our sin into the depths of forgetfulness, into the sea. And I've come to challenge someone today, stop going fishing in places where God has called you to fish no more. If he has forgiven you, you gotta forgive yourself. If he's washed you, you're just going to have to understand there's going to be moments where you don't feel good and don't feel right, but you just remember, I plead the blood of Jesus. I know that I don't feel all right, and I've messed up, and I've screwed up, but I just plead the blood because I can't speak for me, and I can't just declare I'm innocent because it's a lie, but I am under the blood of Jesus Christ. Many people have a hard time coming to God because they have a hard time believing that. They have a hard time believing that the blood and that Jesus gave his life for them. They have a hard time believing. And many times people will believe that if I come to God, he's so angry. He is so mad. He is so irritated. He's so, he's going to kill me. If I pray one moment, he's going to strike me dead. How many of you have ever heard somebody say, you may have said it this morning. If I step foot in that church, it's going to be struck by lightning. Ever heard somebody say that? Is there somebody in here you're concerned that we may get struck by lightning? <laughs> we think God's got the hammer, and we think, God, if I come to God, he's going to drop the hammer on me. If I come to God, he's going to break me and hurt me, and he's angry at me. He's going to drop the hammer. I want you to hear me today. I want you to look at me right now. You may be thinking God's going to drop the hammer. Listen to me. He already did. 2,000 years ago, when Jesus went to Calvary, the Bible lets us know that the hammer hit the nails in his hands and in his feet and separate, and the, what separated us from God. Jesus became the one who filled the gap between us and God. And the reality of it is, when Jesus went to the cross, God dropped the hammer. When they beat him with the cat of nine tails, he, that's when God dropped the hammer, when they hung him high and stretched him wide, that's when God dropped the hammer. 
The reality of it is, the Easter story is this, that God poured out all of his anger on his son so that he could pour out all of his love on you. Am I helping anybody right now? That's the beauty of Easter. That is, that is the beauty of the cross. Because we must understand our Father God is just. And sin must be paid for. But it's, and people will say, well, that's not loving. It's not a loving Father. What's loving is he sent someone else to pay for it, not us. Jesus did not only die for you, Jesus died as you. That should have been you where the hammer fell. That should have been you where the scripture says it pleased God to pour his wrath on his son. That should have been you and I. Should have been you and me. Beaten and broken. Receiving cosmic justice for our sin. But aren't you glad the Bible says, for God so loved you that he sent a defense attorney to not just get involved in the case, but to take your place in punishment so that you and I can walk free. And there's therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. What a promise. You know, there's a story in the Bible at the crucifixion of two thieves. Many of us have heard the story, but allow me to read from Luke 23. It says, one of the criminals hanging beside Jesus scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested. Don't you fear God? When you have been sentenced to die, we deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come to your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you today, you will be with me in paradise. I want you to listen close. This is one of the most profound stories, one of the most profound conversations ever recorded in human history. You must understand that all four gospels record the two thieves, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all giving four different perspectives of the ministry and the gospel of Jesus and also the crucifixion, all four. Matthew and Mark let us know that at one point that both thieves were hurling insults at Jesus, both thieves. Both thieves were in the jury box. Both thieves were making judgment calls. Both thieves were pointing and canceling and laughing and joking. But the book of Luke catches something that no other writer caught. Nobody else caught it. It was almost as if they put the pen down and moved on. But Luke caught something in earshot where the thief that was in the jury box at some point turns to the other thief and says something like this, we're guilty. How can we judge him and mock him? We deserve our punishment, but this man's done nothing. Notice what he does. This thief, this broken man, this liar, stealing individual, guilty as charged, getting what he deserves. Watch what happens. 
he moves from the jury box to the defendant's seat. That thief on the cross, we don't know whatever happened to the other thief, but this thief's conscience began to stir on the inside of him, and he moved from one seat to the other. And I need you to hear me today. This is when the gospel works. This is when Easter makes sense. This is when everything begins to come together in the word of God. Why? Because we stop trying to be the savior and we realize we're the sinner. When we realize that we can do nothing right, that we are lost without God, we are hopeless and broken and shattered and desperately by default lost without hope. But in a Hail Mary past conversation on the cross, a thief guilty of sin turns to the Lamb of God and says, Lord, <laughs> Lord, notice he's changed. He was mocking him at first, but something in a few hours changed, and now he's calling him Lord. The Bible says anybody who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Yeah. Notice the thief had a change. He switched seats, and he said, Lord, Please remember me owning his guilt, not making excuses. Both thieves, one makes the decision that I need Jesus. Remember me. And Jesus says, today, before the sun sets, you're going to be with me in paradise. Well, he didn't go to church, Pastor Ethan. He, didn't have, he wasn't a member, wasn't baptized, wasn't this, wasn't that. Here's what I'll tell you. When Jesus says you're going to be with me in paradise, you're going to be with him in paradise. D.L. Moody was visiting a prison called the Tombs one day. And he spoke to the crowd of inmates and then all the inmates were sent back to their cells. D.L. Moody then goes from cell to cell talking to every individual in their cell. And he would ask this question, what brought you here? And again and again, he received the same reply or many replies in the context, something like this, I don't deserve to be here. I was framed. I was falsely accused. I was given an unfair trial. The lawyer was no good. Not one inmate would ever put himself in that chair. Not one inmate said to the preacher, D.L. Moody, that he was guilty. Until D.L. Moody moved to a cell and he sees a man with his hands and his face, his face just buried in his hands, weeping. And D.L. Moody says, what's wrong, my friend? He goes, my sins are too much to bear. D.L. Moody said, at least one man in that whole prison saw their guilt, saw that they needed forgiveness. And the evangelist D.L. Moody said, thank God that I can point someone to the saving power of Jesus Christ. I want you to hear me today. I actually think that one of the greatest tactics of the enemy today 
is that people don't think they need a savior. Simple, isn't it? We need doctors and lawyers and, and all that is good. We need better education and we just need, we need to take the deficit. We need a new person in Washington. We need to change this. We need less taxes. No, no, no. Why don't we start at number one? You need to get saved. You need to know Jesus. You need to know we're all lost without God. Jesus dies on the cross. I wonder sometimes what the thief thought. They both have passed away. They just spent a few days in heaven together. And Jesus says, hey, I'll, uh, I'll be right back. On the third day, the Bible says that the stone was rolled away and God in flesh, who all of hell thought they had defeated. All the demons were dancing in darkness thinking they had defeated the Son of God, that he could never heal another person, never help another child, never save another soul. All the demons were cheering and celebrating. All the Roman Empire and everybody in the community thought that Jesus was finally done. But when Jesus rose from the dead, he settled the case. And I've come to tell you today, you may be in court today and you may be in that seat guilty, but if you plead that blood, I want you to know something today the case is closed the case is closed the Bible says that when Jesus was on the cross he uttered, uttered the words it is finished in other words case is dismissed it's over and Romans 6 says this for the wages of sin is death but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord We've been thinking God's gonna drop a hammer this whole time. When in reality, God dropped a gavel and set humanity free from sin, shame, death, hell, and the grave. Aren't you thankful for Easter morning? Case closed.